This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, run away, run away. The enduring charm of cowardly characters. (laughs) I'm very proud of that title. (laughs) Bravely brave Sir Robin, Sir Robin (laughs) rode away. (laughs) Sorry. You're exactly right. Monty Python moment. (laughs) Exactly. Run away, run away. Um, Yeah, so this episode has come about because I have been watching some stuff and I made a realisation about the kinds of characters that I like and that there's a trend with particular characters that I sort of, I I really tend to enjoy. Um, But also there's a trend with characters whom I really dislike as well and I suddenly went cowards they're all cowards um (laughs) and I was like Jules Jules I want to talk about cowards (laughs) long silence from Jules as I was just kind of like oh okay I guess (laughs) but there is actually quite a lot to talk about um and the the cowardly character is an enduring figure which has been used across the world throughout history and literature and entertainment. I mean, you get this archetype pretty much in every country because it's just so universal. Now, the coward is a varied character. Um, They can be comedic, they can be detestable, they can be lovable. Um, And most importantly, they can add a great sense of variety and realism to a story, so to your writing as well. When used successfully, a cowardly character can make for an entertaining hero, um, a disgusting villain, as we'll discuss in a few minutes, um, or an interesting member of the ensemble. However, there are several ways that cowardice can be portrayed in fiction because, hey, guess what? There isn't one way to be a coward. So here are some of the cowardly characters that you may find in speculative fiction. We're going to go through each of them. We're going to give some examples. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to have some fun discussing and dissecting them. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we get going, I would just say that actually, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense for these characters to have such a, you know, a foothold. Mm-hmm. Simply because, you know, a, a character whose journey starts off with them just being brave and charging in all the time has either got a very, very short lifespan ahead of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or there isn't much opportunity for growth in that direction. So perhaps their character arc is kind of the reverse of, of the coward's arc. So yeah. otherwise you can't do anything with them. They're static. Yeah. They're just sort of like, oh, danger. And they're like Sididimus out of Labyrinth. Yeah. You know? <laughs> My lady, <laughs> danger is ahead. I shall charge forwards as befits a true knight of the realm kind of thing. And it's... um. It's great, but can you imagine trying to send her an entire plot or even, you know, a subplot around that character? You've got nowhere to go yeah. with it. It's quite interesting because even, like, obviously we're talking about the cowardly character as a, as a kind of a whole, but elements of the cowardly character are introduced to pretty much everyone. Like, one, one kind of hero that I really like is one who was sort of blusterous and very 
uh, and you know wasn't afraid at all and then something horrific happens to them and they essentially get PTSD and then they they become and I say in inverted commas cowardly they suddenly find that they can't run forward but this is actually a part of them accepting the true you know danger and horror of what they're doing and ultimately makes them more heroic so and we will talk about sort of elements like that as well but yeah I think that if you if you look if you really look you'll find that cowards are everywhere (laughs) and I guess the other thing is it depends because there are different types of types of bravery and there are different types of cowardice Mm. so if we were to talk about someone who's physically my god I can't speak today (laughs) hold on let me just put my dentures in (laughs) I don't have dentures um no basically you can have not yet anyway (laughs) um you can have someone who is physically very brave Mm. there that's someone who isn't afraid of getting physically hurt yeah um generally speaking they're not afraid to take a punch pain doesn't have a great hold over them Mm. um in the same way someone else might be more squeamish over that sort of thing yeah and then you can have someone who is far more, you know, they might be fine with physical stuff, mm-hmm. but emotionally they're kind of like completely shut down and it's terrifying. The mere idea of opening up any further than they already are is, is absolutely frustrating. Yeah. And I think some people find those characters very, very frustrating because they think, oh, will you just talk about it? Yeah. But the thing is, if you're that person and you've been through that sort of journey... You don't just talk about it. You've never had an experience in your life where just talking about it has resulted in anything good. Exactly, yeah. So, again, it's, you know, cowardice is kind of a learned thing in the same way that bravery is. And I think it's it's really interesting to look at these different sort of segments. Absolutely. Completely agree. So we're going to start off um, with the the detestable coward. This is the dirty coward, okay? Um now the name really says it all this is the kind of character who is entirely self-centered and they will often run away from any kind of danger without thought for others who are more vulnerable than themselves worse they may actively try to put others in harm's way in order to achieve their goals they will usually very gladly betray those whom they claim to be friends with and will often take advantage of the hero's better nature, using them to get out of dangerous situations and then leaving them to die. It's the whole sort of, oh, you can't leave me here, please, I need your help. And then the moment the hero pulls them up, they're like, ha ha, and they push the hero down the ravine kind of thing. The du- Yeah, the, <laughs> the, 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 the wounded poor yeah. characters. Yeah, the, the, the crocodiles is, yeah. Um, yeah. The dirty coward is often full of bluster when they are in a they are in control of the situation, and they usually exhibit cruel tendencies. Sometimes using others to deal out martial punishment, or taking joy out of seeing other people suffering. So this is also an example of you know someone who is in a position of power, like for example uh, Robin Hood, the the Disney version, King John massive dirty <laughs> dirty coward you know it's happy to sort of say off with their heads but he's not the one who's swinging the sword as it were uh, i mean that's not massively inaccurate no essentially they're a bully um and they enjoy being in a position of power but when danger rears its head the dirty coward loses all confidence and is usually the first to run like the dirty coward is whenever i think of the dirty coward there's a great um, in the original, um, I say the original, uh, 
Spartacus Blood and Sand, the the series, uh, John Hanna plays the uh, the guy who runs, who who owns all the gladiators, and he has this thing wherever danger arises, he grabs the closest person to him and just uses them as a human shield, <laughs> and it's really funny in like a horrifying way. It's just like and he just grabs the closest person, and usually they end up getting killed um and yeah that's that's typical dirty coward behavior um they will do whatever they they like also it's the titanic thing you know the oh this child that i've just found that they've all i've got you know don't care about the child just trying to get on the lifeboat so let's look at some examples um now i should say that the the nice thing about the dirty coward trope is that they usually get their comeuppance um, and usually it's by falling prey to one of their own schemes. So they set things up and then they find themselves actually ultimately paying the price for that. They are spineless, they are detestable, um, and they rarely come out of their efforts victorious. In fact, we usually enjoy seeing their downfall because they've been so despicable. Yeah. So um, the first example, and this really actually is the dirty coward that always comes to mind when I think of the dirty coward, and that's Benny from The Mummy. He's kind... Weirdly, he's one of those you-love-to-despise you type characters, yes. if that's the thing. <laughs> and it's... Um, he's definitely got the survival traits. I mean, I guess that's the other thing of this particular type of cowardice, is that it is partially, at least rooted in survival but as mm. you say a very egocentric type of survival yeah um it's just that there are things like he the whole thing when when imhotep who has not fully reformed yet yes. is uh, sort of striding down on him and he's just going through all his all, all his the religions religious <laughs> yeah. and he's saying prayers in each one's and just by sheer luck he comes up with a hebrew prayer and, and Imhotep's like, oh, the languages of the slaves, you can be you can be useful to me, kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> and it's it's like, well, okay, you've got to applaud somebody who is hedging their bets to that extent, but also at the same time, oh, yeah. pick something and commit to it. Yeah. You know? It's it's also the line where he's where, where he's like, oh, but think of my children. He's like, you don't have any children. Yeah, but I might do someday. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you do he's kind of you like him almost because you cannot believe how one person could be so despicable as it were um yeah because once he is in imhotep's service he is quite happy to watch as the americans basically have dismembered yeah it's like prince imhotep thanks you for your eyes and your tongue and everything else yes and he's enjoying it he's enjoying running around with the bigger bully in the playground he absolutely is yeah um this is not someone who's just sort of been put into this position uh because it's it's not like he's constantly trying to escape he feels quite comfortable where he is and he's enjoying it um and ultimately of course he does pay the price for this um, which I think is actually very satisfying for everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, if he, if he had just left the gold behind, he would have got out. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is that it's it's very much the tragedy of the, you know, they fall prey, he falls prey to his own Hamashia, which is that ultimately he was, he was more greedy than he was, you know, uh, anything else. And this uh, 
this comes back to bite him, quite literally. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next one. <laughs> Prince Humperdinck from The Princess Bride. That's great because he is... He's posed himself as, you know, this, this classic prince, you know? Yeah. Sort of uh, someone who is well-favoured and um, accomplished in all the princely arts kind of thing, mm-hmm. riding, hunting, etc., etc. Yeah. What a great king he will make one day. And and yet, when you scratch the surface, there is very little substance to him at all. Yeah. As a person. And it's quite interesting because the the dirty coward... You often get the dirty coward um, character with royals, and it's this—it's this notion of they're not true royals; they are, um, you know, they're faking. They don't actually have these noble qualities, and that's how you can tell that they're not actually meant to be. They're—they're they're not true, you know, true leaders, essentially. Yeah, like, like Joffrey in Game of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah. Um, precisely. Um, and and <laughs> he, I, I love him because like, and that's that's even something that's quite interesting because he doesn't actually Prince Humperdinck. You know, there's the whole thing at the end where Wesley just goes. Actually, the worst punishment is just to let you live, to let you live as a coward. You know, yeah, you live with yourself. Yeah, and I. That's I, I remember as a child thinking it's like oh no just kill him, um, what <laughs> what are you doing? Bloodthirsty of you? <laughs> no, don't don't let him live. He he will come back for you. But it was it was the ultimate punishment because in that moment he'd be like oh yeah thank you I'm I've I've I get to survive, but he would never he would always know that that would be a, a deep deep sense of shame, you know. That he'd never yeah. be able to shake. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, part of me says that's not a good enough punishment for everything that he did because he was—he's really bloodthirsty, as well, but in a in a very non-involved kind of way. Yeah, I mean, well, they weren't trying to topple a kingdom or anything, were they? They were just trying to rescue Buttercup. Yeah, absolutely. And, um... Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think he'd lost quite a bit of credibility, especially since he literally runs away from a man lying on a bed at the end. <laughs> yes. Buttercup's like, Wesley, you're not bluffing, are you? It's like, I'm fairly certain I can stand. And he stands up and then falls down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's such a good film. <laughs> Whereas... Joffrey, you know, even now I'm kind of like, okay, so you had a horrible death choking on your own blood, and it was not enough. Yeah. <laughs> and you were the epitome of a, a craven bully. Yes. And there was clearly something wrong with you. And a spoiled brat as well. That's not a great combination. No, I completely agree. Um, he, There was a fantastic sense of satisfaction with Joffrey's death. Like an incredible sense of satisfaction when he died. It was he was just one of the most hated characters ever in Game of Thrones, which is really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that's a high bar. That it, is a high a very, bar. It's a very, very high bar. Um, and I think, in some ways, the thing that makes him, for me, the thing that makes him worse than 
characters like you know um even uh bolton the bolton bastard so expertly played um who was absolutely detestable horrific character um he he's not joffrey rang different i think because joffrey was entirely bluster there was nothing brave about him at all. There was He didn't even have a sense of conviction with his own cruelty. He literally just targeted people whom he knew he, he, he could get away with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he was a spiteful child acting out a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. And it was... Um, yeah, you, you, you kind of watch him and you despise him. It's impossible not to. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the... I do I do think that yeah it's one of the ways that you can really really make a character detestable is by making them a coward a dirty coward like this um because there's and this is the interesting thing going back to Benny as well though because what they did with Benny is that they they kind of mix him with another one of the tropes which is that he's almost a lovable coward because he's he's used for the comedic effect you know, yeah. where you're like, I cannot believe this guy has the gall <laughs> to do what he's doing. You can almost applaud it in some respects, but you can't really because he is very detestable. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite an interesting one. But certainly I think that there has never been a a cowardly character like that who I haven't just immediately detested i think it's a very effective way of um of getting your um your audience um to dislike a character <laughs> yeah yeah definitely okay so the next one is our is the uh do you want to talk about peter oh Pettigrew? gosh yeah i was going to talk about peter because Pettigrew. that's kind of like the absolutely the ultimate example of this yes i'm i'm so sorry guys i i almost forgot peter <laughs> pettigrew uh peter pettigrew obviously a uh, great example of this cowardly character um which weirdly enough says a lot about the kind of person that um that james potter was um but yeah he he's a, an interesting character in the end because of the way he dies but he is he's horrifying because he totally lacks that that sense of courage, um, which is so remarked Me- upon in 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 the in the series, you know, kind kind of makes you wonder how the hell did you end up in Gryffindor? Yeah, that is a really he's, interesting. It's <laughs> kind of it's kind. I what I find is that he is like Neville Longbottom, but if Neville never actually found his own courage it yeah it's it's quite interesting that people have kind of pointed out that there are parallels um in the series with the with the crew who then you know ultimately do get together which is that ron very much is the serious black of to um to james to to harry's james as it were um and yeah um Neville is the Peter Pettigrew and the thing that is remarkable about Neville is that he is afraid um, and we will talk about Neville in a little bit because he's a, he, he actually falls into another one of these tropes um, but rather than letting it define him he actually ultimately steps up because he has to 
Um, whereas, of course, Peter Pettigrew um, doesn't. Would rather sell out his friends. Yes. Um, and it's quite interesting because Peter is a character who seems to actually, in some ways, get enjoyment out of the suffering of others. But this enjoyment, I think, comes from feeling powerful from feeling protected. It's it's not actually something which is based on his desire to see people getting hurt. I don't think he cares really about people getting hurt. I think he just wants to feel powerful, to feel strong. Yeah, there's a, a level of security with it yeah. as well. Although, you know, he does a few things that are just gen- genuinely a little bit spiteful as well. Oh, I completely agree, yes. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not sort of s- somehow excusing the way he behaves. He is, he's just a bad person through and through <laughs> the entire time. Um, but it is, it is interesting that he's, you know, it, he's a little bit different from, you know, some of the other, some of the other versions of this trope, simply because actually, um, it doesn't actually seem to be that he he is at his heart someone who wants to hurt people. He's just at his heart someone who wants to be in a position of of power. And if that involves hurting people, then so be it. He will happily go along with that. Yeah, I th- I think it was summed up really well in the if you made a better rat than a man, that's not really anything to brag about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> damn because <laughs> well, yeah that is some serious shade throwing there but I think it was Remus not serious wasn't it But because mm. he was saying to Ron you know I made a good pet didn't I master yeah um. <laughs> to be honest I, I, I feel like this is unfair on rats <laughs> which are rather sweet creatures really but anyway yes. um <laughs> Okay, all right, so let's move on to the lovable coward. So the cowardly character is... uh, So this cowardly character, the lovable coward, is the antithesis of the dirty coward. Whilst they do lack any kind of heroic tendency, usually the lovable coward is honest, um, and they're quite honest about themselves. Um, and they don't pretend to be anything other than what they are. Now, sometimes you you do get this sort of comedic as, oh, yes, I, I am very, very strong, and oh, no, actually, I'm quite afraid uh, when it comes to things. But for the most part, the lovable um, coward is honest about, no, no, I don't want to do this, I'm terrified. The thing that really marks them out, though, is that they're not needlessly cruel, um, and they are usually reluctant about getting involved in anything scary, often uh, being forced into situations by others or by particular circumstance. Now, the lovable character... uh, Good. It's catching. Uh, it is. <laughs> the lovable coward is usually likable for a number of different reasons. So um, we can't go into all of them, but I've got four here. So uh, the first one is that they are comic relief. While everyone else plays the straight man, the lovable coward adds a refreshing sense of humour by pointing out and sometimes overreacting to the horror of the situation. <laughs> Yeah, and I've got to say, when you've got everybody being all sort of 
you know, stiff upper lip and wants more into the breach, dear friends, it's really refreshing to have somebody there going, but you'll die. <laughs> I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Yeah. Let's go in the, let's run in the other direction and live. It is. It's like a, <laughs> I do actually quite like it when, people, when you do have that character who just turns around and is like, no, this is a terrible idea. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> and they're usually sort of forced into going by, you know, by someone literally dragging them away. And they're like, no, I don't want to. I want to live <laughs> kind of thing. See, it kind of, that kind of makes me think of Yaskia. Yes. <laughs> And it's like, it's not that he's a coward, it's just a kind of, yeah, in in some things he's kind of like, I'm clearly not equipped for this. I'm a bard, I'm not a sword fighter. <laughs> this is a stupid idea. <laughs> you go, I'll stay here and write a song about it. <laughs> I, I do, you do have to love it, yeah, when he, he's like that. It's just, it's that scene in, in season one where he's like, aren't you the most adorable, horrifying creature I've ever seen. Uh, Geralt, run away, run away, Geralt! It's one of yours. <laughs> he just hides, and I'm like, yeah, that's sensible. What you're doing right there is very sensible for a man who is, you know, flesh and bone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that brings us on to your second point, which is that they are the voice of reason. Yes! Um, so... Sometimes the lovable coward is the only sensible one who's in the group. <laughs> it just makes me think of... I'm sorry, I'm not poking at, at YA particularly, but it's something that really has shown up in, in young adult fiction in the last sort of 10, 15 years, mm -hmm. where you're not allowed anybody in the group who doesn't want to participate, Yeah, it seems, and everybody's got their own kind of... Oh, oh, up and at him, go get him kind of attitude. Yeah. And you really need somebody to go, this is dumb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't consent to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I like this character because they're usually the one who's highlighting how strange their companions are. Um, because they are reacting appropriately to the situation. Now, this can be played for comedy, so they can be part of the co uh, the, the comic relief, um, or it can be used as an inroad for the audience, um, where you have characters who are all very, very spectacular, um, you know, having all sorts of these powers, and then you have a character who is actually very much more representative of of who you probably are. Um, again, Yaskia is a good example of this because as much as we all love to watch The Witcher and be like, oh yeah, I, I could be, I could do that. Um, realistically, what Geralt does is terrifying. Um, and more of us are like Yaskia than we are like Geralt, if we're yeah, being honest. Um, <laughs> I remember, obviously I didn't do the interview myself. I read an interview uh, with Ursula Le Guin, who is the author of the Earthsea yeah. books and various other um, fantasy and science fiction classics. Mm. Um, she's sadly passed away. But she said in one of her um, interviews that I think got put in her book of essays, she actually said that, you know, there there has to be something archetypal that everyone can latch onto within a fantasy or science fiction novel. Yeah, And she said, and maybe you're reading Earthsea and you're like, Yes, I'm Sparhawk. I'm I'm the traveller looking for 
for answers. Mm-hmm. She said, and then the interviewer said, "Who would you be?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm one of the old w- women of the island, one of the gossips sitting around knitting and drinking rush wash tea." She's like, "I'm not an adventurer." She's like, "Do you think I would have gone into writing if I was actually an adventurer?" <laughs> I'm like, you, "You've really got a point, Matt." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it's fun um and in writing to play let's pretend and dress up in in Geralt's clothes or yeah, Yennefer's clothing or, or someone comparable, but we've got to be honest, I'd be like how far am I away from a kettle? <laughs> <laughs> Supply of tea bags. Yeah, absolutely. Um and it is it is, you know, about having that that inroad um without making that inroad feel too um what's how, how do i explain this because you know you could do it in a way where you're like actually i don't like this character because i want that escapism you know yeah so having that the character who is likable that lovable sort of um coward instead really really does make a difference because you get um that okay all right so perhaps they're not the bravest but they are kind of still quite a fun character as it were you know what i'm sorry i don't want to go off on a tangent and derail anything so i'll make this really quick but um continuing our private discussion about the eternals (laughs) this is kind of the problem with that film there's no inroad character Mm. the closest you get is the um indian camera guy yeah who was a who's a great character (laughs) which and i think it's really noticeable that everyone i've spoken to about that film and okay i haven't conducted a survey or anything but everyone loves that guy they think he does an amazing job they love that character and yet nobody can tell me any of the other characters they actually think are all right (laughs) so that that's what it is you haven't you kind of need that inroad character and the lovable coward is one of them. Yes. Or one way of approaching it. Because all characters contain tiny little pieces of the other characters they surround themselves with. Yeah. So an inroad character will get you a connection with the other characters. Yeah. If you haven't got that, then you could be writing about something that basically no one can relate to at all. Yeah, which you don't want, obviously. Um now you know we've talked in previous in previous episodes about the kind of the whole power fantasy thing um but it's about the balance essentially so yeah i i really do like that this version of the lovable character particularly if they're if their whole shtick is the no this is stupid um it's it's also the whole kind of let's bluster in and go that way and and this is the character who might be like or <laughs> we could call the police <laughs> or we could sneak around the back and sometimes they actually because they they're more sensible they serve to actually um uh, to kind of create a nice sense of balance so that's that's one version the next one now this i think is definitely one of my favorites and this is the the lovable coward is lovable because they're a trickster character yeah. Obviously this appears a lot in mythology, but um this is a very this is a particularly popular one where the 
brain has to go against the brawn usually so here the trickster is cowardly because they're not equipped or confident against their opponent um, so they have to use their guile and wits to outsmart their enemy and to escape yeah so it's brer rabbit yeah exactly um now i do feel like it's worth noting that the whole uh the whole concept of kind of the cowardly character is that sometimes you can have cowardly characters who are not afraid all of the time um in fact it would be quite unrealistic they might actually be able to do certain things and not show fear because these are within their ballpark as it were these are things that they feel they can confidently do they're not worried about um the cowardly character is sort of one who who kind of starts to appear when they are taken out of their comfort zone and usually this does involve um doing something you know which most sensible people would agree is a terrible idea um or you know facing up against ghosts or, or or things like that that most people don't actually really want to do um and that's when they sort of start to appear so you can have this cowardly um sort of trickster character who is very competent in other areas but really does not want to be getting into a into a bar fight as it were yeah um, yeah definitely <laughs> and i think we've kind of okay maybe not met necessarily tricksters in real life mm. but um people who are sort of like yeah i'm willing to do all these things but no i'm not getting i'm not joining in the bar fight kind of thing yeah or is that just me <laughs> <laughs> no no i think that's very sensible <laughs> i just suddenly thought actually i think i'm giving stuff away there that i should not be giving away <laughs> Let's pretend I didn't say Jules that. Jules has lived a colourful life. <laughs> but I have lived, god damn it. <laughs> okay, so the final uh, version we'll, we'll discuss of, of the of the lovable coward is uh, they're lovable because, yes, they're a coward, but they're just a good person. So occasionally the lovable coward marks themselves out by just being a good person in situations outside of combat. So while perhaps they're useless when it comes to battle or, or scary things or monsters, they are otherwise very kind, supportive or helpful in other situations. Um, now this kind of character can sometimes grow into the cowardly lion, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but I, I actually, I feel like sometimes this character is really understated um, and can actually really sort of be a little, be, be the heart of a series as well yeah i mean i don't think this is going to necessarily be a popular example but um bella swan from the twilight series she actually describes herself as i was far too much of a coward and she is when it comes to conflict mm. and yet if you look at the things she's willing to do for people she loves yeah it's like actually you're not a coward at all you just really don't like getting into conflict with people you'd rather keep quiet and suffer yourself than upset or hurt anyone that's a different type of cowardice yeah absolutely um and yeah i mean obviously things change for bella swan but yeah that is actually a really good example of a character who's just actually quite a genuine person even if they don't happen to enjoy conflict or will do their absolute best to avoid conflict of any kind so yeah um <laughs> okay 
Alright, let's look at some examples of these in a little bit more detail. Um, so I'm going to start us off by saying Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow is a lovable coward. Yes, and he's kind of a trickster as well. He is, yeah. He's he's very much that kind of trickster sort of character um, where he gets out using his wits. Um, and I feel like this is something which has potentially been lost in some of the later films which have come out. Yeah, they kind of did that flanderization thing, didn't they, where they exaggerated certain traits and made him... Yeah, and, and completely ignore the fact that he's actually really clever, and that's one of the yeah. things that is very appealing about him, is that, yes, he's a drunkard, but he's he's very smart, <laughs> even when he's drunk. And <laughs> um, so, yeah... Uh, I actually, and again, he, he's a perfect example because also this is the thing is that he's actually the hero, well, sort of the hero of the story. And actually this, the series works because he's alongside playing, you know, straight the straight man in the form of, you know, Will Turner um, yeah. and Elizabeth Swan. They've got their whole romance thing, and he's he's a side character, really. Even, but he's even though he's the character that everybody loves, and that works. This is another thing which has become one of the issues of some of the recent um, ad uh, recent sort of sequels, is that they kind of lost what made it work. In that, yes, everyone was there for Jack Sparrow, but he can't be the main character because he's not a hero. That's not his whole thing. He is self-serving um, and he's a coward, but he's lovable because we like to see how he gets about certain situations. Yeah. I did love that character. <laughs> <laughs> they spoiled him, Jules. <laughs> they did. It's always annoying when something becomes a victim of its own success. Yeah, I think. it really, really is. Okay, so another example. Uh, Locke Lamora in uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora and the Gentleman Bastard sequence. It's like, you've got to love Locke Lamora because it's kind of like, oh yes, I'm a coward, I live by my wits, blah blah blah, right up until he's, his back's really against the wall. <laughs> and then suddenly he's rolling on a barrel into a, a, an enemy force <laughs> yelling, I'm... <laughs> fucking lock the yeah. waving a sword around. <laughs> it's like, like <laughs> circa or something. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was fire involved. As there well. was, yeah. I I really love that scene because essentially what happened was he was so scared he basically just lost his mind. He came out the other he, side. He just came out the other side, and, that, and everyone. And this is the thing: is everyone else? This is in the second book, and everyone else is just they're like, "Wow, he's so brave." And Jean's like, "So uh, what happened?" And Locke's like, "I have no idea. I was so scared <laughs> the entire time. I have no idea. I'd lost all feeling from the neck down. <laughs> yeah. I think I was having an out of body experience." <laughs> And he is, and again, it's one of the reasons he's a likeable coward, because he knows his own limitations. He knows that he's not physically very brave. He will tend to try and outsmart, uh, uh, you know, outsmart the opponents in these kinds of situations. And for the most part, it works. 
for the most part until he <laughs> he he tries to be a bit too smart and then it doesn't work um yes. but yeah I, it's one of the reasons again that i i'm very fond of Loch Lamora um because he is he's a little coward um but he he's still got a heart of gold he probably stole it from someone but he's got a heart of gold <laughs> yes <laughs> okay um I, i'll fen- i'll fence this one yes i'm going i'm going to sell it on the so- black market um <laughs> I, that's because you were I talking thought, about Loch i thought Lamora. you were just going <laughs> to start battling it <laughs> Um, I, I will field this one, mm-hmm. and that is Hal from Hal's Moving Castle. Yes. And I agree that this is a perfect example, um, particularly if you're looking at the Howl from the book, mm. because the Howl in the book is genuinely quite a self-centred, egotistical, slightly spoiled and very vain character who is a, genu- who is a genuine coward. He knows he's got to face the Witch of the Waste. Yeah. He, he knows he's got to do it. There's, there's something there that needs to be absolutely sorted out. And, you know, Sophie, for all her faults, Sophie is not a coward at all. She will actually face things head on. Yeah. And she kind of sort of chivvies him and chivvies him. And it's like, well, if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to do it kind of thing. Yeah. And you get to the end and Howl's like, Sophie was like, well, you were really brave. You, you just did it. And he said, well, yes, but I have to tell myself I'm not going to do something that scares me right up until I'm in the middle of doing it and I have no other choice but to finish. <laughs> and I'm like, I know how you feel. That's how I feel about some, you know, some social events and things. I'm just going to tell myself I don't have to go right up until I'm actually there. And then it's kind of like, well, fuck it. <laughs> commit properly. Which is thing. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it's one of the reasons why he is a likable character, ultimately, because that is something that I think a lot of people can actually associate with. And really, realistically, um, his his fears are, are pretty well based. <laughs> yeah. It's not over nothing, it's, is it? It really <laughs> isn't. <laughs> his character, is, she's, she's terrifying. It's just you wouldn't immediately go... Ah, yes, this man, the one who spends hours and hours choosing which hair colour it's going to be today (laughs) and likes to dress finely and can't be bothered to clean his own castle. Yes, that's hero material right there. (laughs) Yeah, but ultimately he is is rather likeable and because he is that lovable coward. Yeah. Okay, um, the last ones, had to mention them. These are the classics, which are, of course, uh, Scooby-Doo. And Shaggy. I love the fact that that their entire career is based on the fact that, yes, they go around solving potentially supernatural, but not really supernatural mysteries. (laughs) And their whole skit is they spend the entire time running away and somehow they always end up foiling everything and solving it just by accident. Yeah. It's it's quite amusing, though, because, you know, I I think the whole premise is that they're not even actually meant to be doing this. They're they're on their way somewhere. Yeah, I don't think they're ever going to get there. I don't don't think they are ever going to get there. (laughs) The reason they're not going to get there is because all of them are indulging in Scooby snacks, and we all know what that's Mm -hmm. a euphemism for. (laughs) It's not the mystery reveal. Well, it's it's the mystery reveal in the sense of they have no idea where they are because they've smoked so much weed (laughs) at this point. Incredible amount. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they, they are classic examples of this um lovable 
Uh, I mean, to the point that they're the, you know, Scooby-Doo is the titular character of the show, even though <laughs> he, he doesn't actually contribute much when it comes to the <laughs> to the needs of, of pretty much the, the whole kind of the case, as it were. He doesn't have to. He's a dog. He, and, he is a dog, you know, yeah. Almost all kids love dogs, especially cartoon dogs. <laughs> True. <laughs> He's met the quota of what of what needs to be done. You know, he is the zen of cartoons. He he just has to be and everybody's happy. <laughs> That's definitely one way of, of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Um, let's jump on to uh, the next one. Now, this is... I, I thought I would add this one, even though they're not technically cowards, because they still get called cowards. So this is the so-called coward or the cowardly disguise, okay? So this is a person who is usually not very confrontational or chooses to be passive or allows themselves to be pushed around. Now this may be because they do not believe in violence, um, they will only fight the enemy, or because they have to maintain a secret identity. So this is very popular with superhero fiction. As a, yeah. as a result of this, they are labelled a coward by others. Now, despite this, they continue to go above and beyond, often facing terrible odds to rescue friends. And they're usually framed as being even braver than others, though this sometimes does go unnoticed and can very often go unrewarded for very, very long periods of time. Yeah, and there is something very likeable about this sort of character as well. I think it's because they are willing to do whatever it takes and they're not doing it in the hopes of glory or recognition or reward. Yeah. Um, in fact, they, they kind of have to accept the fact that they are very unlikely to get ever get any of that at all. Um, yeah. And sometimes y you kind of get this, this very sort of... Th this kind of this pale version of it where one person finds out and says, you know, tells them, you are really the bravest of them all and they kind of have to content themselves with the fact that everyone else just thinks they're a total coward you know yeah um i love your first example because i've immediately gone back to the 80s version of this yes <laughs> um so uh, we've got he-man and you know prince adam being as the coward in disguise here and that's really interesting if you've watched the recent show yeah prince adam looks significantly different to how he looks in his own incarnation as he-man if you go to the 80s basically <laughs> prince adam looks exactly the same as he-man except that he-man has a serious tan and furry pants and it's like he's always described as adam the weakling as in literally his own father king randor calls him adam the weakling <laughs> everyone calls him adam the weakling and you're like that dude is stacked. How are you calling him Adam? Where? The What's going on? Adam the Weakling, is that a joke? Because he clearly spends all his time in the fucking gym. Yeah, it really is very funny the way they do that. Um. <laughs> but it's like, it's a classic storytelling thing of just telling the audience something doesn't make it true because the audience isn't stupid. <laughs> the audience um, can see very clearly. <laughs> but also Cringer. I think Cringer is a genuine cowardly character. Mm. And then obviously you, you do the sword thing and um, 
that sounded dicey. I didn't mean it to be dicey. <laughs> you do the sword thing, power of crow skull, and Cringer becomes battle cat. Yeah. Um, but actually, I think it's done slightly better in the most recent season. I know mm. it's very blasphemy to my fellow 80s kids out there. But, <laughs> um, because Cringer clearly is a more... I can't believe I'm talk- saying this about a talking tiger, but geez, he's a more nuanced character. As yeah. in, he clearly is scared of things. And he's... You know, I feel like he's been reared away from his own kind, so he's never developed that killer instinct and things, and yet he is um, a, a less... I don't think they even call him Battle Cat or anything in the second... in the reincarnation, do they? No. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting look at it. Yeah, I completely agree. And Cringer is a, is a great example of this, and I yeah, I do have to say that um, I really did enjoy the way he got you know, we got to see kind of his story a little bit more um, in the latest series uh, because it was really interesting to see him actually stepping up and being brave um, despite everything because he'd been through so much and he was older, you know, he was older and wiser. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing that I noticed that was different Mm -hmm. and we are we are drawing on my memories here because I haven't <laughs> sat down and watched 80s He-Man is pretty much unwatchable <laughs> um, but Skeletor was actually quite cowardly in the original except in, in things like the Christmas special oh my god I can't believe I'm saying this oh. but, <laughs> suddenly Skeletor finds the, the spirit of Christmas and he helps protect these two children because they're, they're lost on Eternia I don't know what they were doing out in the spaceship there you go. I I have I'm so, I have so many questions. <laughs> you know what? That should be this year's Christmas buddy watch. We should watch the He Man and She Ra Christmas special, the original eighties version, and you'll see what I grew up with. I'm... I think you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it as much as the one we did last year. I'm very very excited. Yeah, for anyone who who's listening, Jules and I sometimes buddy watch Christmas films. And we tend to choose the stupidest things <laughs> that we can fight. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, so next on the list, um, got to give a shout out to my boy Merlin from BBC Merlin. Oh, that's, that's an old show now. <laughs> you don't get to call that an old show. It's, it's. That was after the nineties. It it's was, not well. That's the thing. It's 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 dated now. Well, I mean, it was dated even when it was on. Um, but <laughs> I really did love that show. It was so good. Um, in that it was terrible. Um, and yeah, one of the one of the things that obviously Merlin has to go through is he's got the secret identity because magic is forbidden. Um, so he can't use it, so he has to run around in the shadows and save Prince Arthur time and time again and get ridiculed and called a coward. Now one of the nice things is that at some point Arthur kind of figures out that Merlin isn't a coward and stops calling him a coward. He doesn't know why Merlin isn't a coward, he just knows that Merlin isn't a coward. Um, and he he will actually kind of um he he even refers to merlin as one of the bravest bravest men i know 
And yeah. what's interesting is that Arthur decides that Merlin is brave, um, not because he sees Merlin doing all these amazing things or sacrificing all the things that he sacrifices, but because... Um, despite the fact that Merlin appears to be powerless, he consistently sticks around with Arthur. Even when Arthur's like, you need to go, this is obviously a dangerous place. And Merlin goes, no, nah, it's okay, I'll stick around. Um, and, it, and for me, I, I, that was a really nice way that they kind of subverted the trope um, despite the fact that, as I said, Arthur does spend pretty much the entire first few seasons just uh, calling Merlin a coward and, and Merlin doesn't get any form of recognition for everything that he does. And when he does get recognition, it's not in the way that you expect, which I thought was actually quite an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, I, I can't comment because I think I saw literally two episodes um it sort of came along yeah long time i cannot me, but... begin to tell you how much you would hate it and i say <laughs> I, and i'm well i say hate it i think you would watch it and you'd be like what what are you talking about this is nothing and that's not accurate it, what <laughs> because it, yeah. certainly if you if you were watching it in order to get some arthurian uh Arthurian <laughs> content you will be disappointed <laughs> I mean let's face it I'm even a little bit sort of tense about Excalibur so um, <laughs> so yeah um, I try and avoid Arthurian retelling simply because I know that they're going to really mostly they're going to really annoy me not always but mostly and yet she 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 enjoys reading Castrol I do I am so touched okay uh next one um now obviously we can't go through every single one of the of the superheroes because as i said this is a massive superhero trope um you know it happens with spider-man it happens with you know uh, all of them to be honest so we just we just don't have time um but i will talk about clark kent um yes who and again, my my brain went back to the nineties and the you've probably never seen it, but the Lois and Clark series with uh, Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher. Yeah, which if you watch it now is a little bit a little bit clunky. It's very clunky, okay? <laughs> Sorry. but it's still kind of cool. But it absolutely leans into this idea of you know Clark Kent being a bit of a coward and you know not very reliable, not very manly, and it's kind of. It focuses on the whole, the romance between the two of them. Yeah. And the reason she doesn't realise is because she so completely compartmentalises Superman away from Clark because Clark never gets involved in anything physical or anything dangerous. Yeah. He's never there. He's always arriving just two minutes too late kind of thing. Yeah. And y you often get this as well where, where, you know, it's like a, it's a dangerous situation and obviously the, the superhero needs to be like... um. Uh, I mean, they did this with Invincible, didn't they? Where it was like, yes. okay, I need to go off and I need to run off and change so that I can get into my superhero costume um, and fight the bad guys. And then you always get the, where, where did where did such and such go? Oh my God, they just he just deserted this old woman, you know? <laughs> yes. And they're made to feel really bad about it. And they're like, no, I, I saved her. I was the one who saved her. It's so unfair. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so yeah, so it's used a lot um, in uh, superhero stuff. Uh, now, actually, I want to talk about a real-life example of this, which was, um, which is the case of Private Desmond Thomas uh, Doss. Um, and there was a film made about it called Hacksaw Ridge. Did you ever see Hacksaw Ridge? I didn't. Um, it's a uh, well, I can I can highly recommend it, despite the fact that I have not actually seen it the whole way through myself. Um, it's an incredibly. Uh, moving film which is based on this real life situation where a soldier and i believe it was against this is in um okinawa um he was he was a, a pacifist um and i can't remember exactly what his religion was but essentially he had joined the army in order to be a medic and he refused to hold a gun because it went went completely against his beliefs, and of course he was uh, belittled by his by a sergeant who would turn around and who you know turned around and said, "Do not look to him to help you when the bullets start flying because he will not be there. He he will not protect you," um, and he was labelled as a coward. Now, what happened was that when the they were all ambushed, um, and in the in the sort of the hail of bullets, um, he was the first one to run out to try and save people. Um, yeah. And after the battle, um, he went out into the battleground and one by one rescued so many people, despite the 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 horrific danger that he was in in doing so. Um, and he saved dozens and dozens of lives, including the life of the captain who had belittled him and said that, um, you know, and, and called him a coward. And this the this commanding officer had to say, yeah, he is absolutely one of the bravest men <laughs> I've ever met. Um, so it's well worth um, it's well worth watching. Um, quite harrowing, obviously, for various different reasons, um, but particularly uh, emotional because it's it's based on a true story. Yeah. Okay, our last one for the I, I went a bit northern there, didn't I? <laughs> our last <laughs> one, um, the cowardly lion. So this is usually the most beloved incarnation of the cowardly character. The cowardly lion is a character who suffers from terrible fear or timidity. They're usually reluctant to get involved with dangerous things and often have very little self-confidence. Despite this, when push comes to shove, sometimes with some hesitancy admittedly, the cowardly lion steps up. They are the epitome of you're not brave because you're fearless, you're brave because you're afraid kind of yeah. trope so um as a main or side character the cowardly lion usually goes through a kind of evolution they often take courage and inspiration from their comrades and they usually have a strong sense of justice um, or a very particular moral code um, and they are usually also very loyal their friends often see more in them than they see in themselves so you often get that you're braver than you know kind of thing um yeah. 
and they may have several false starts before they're actually able to step up and act. So they might run away a few times um, and then finally kind of step in. Now, the driving force which usually pushes them into action is a desire to help or to save their friends um, or other innocents. So this is the particular thing is that ultimately they have a very good heart. Now, remember early on when we talked about the lovable character, we talked about the person who has a good heart. Where, where they they ultimately overcome their fear because of the kind of person they are beneath it all. Now, occasionally for comedic purposes, and I love it when this is done, the cowardly lion may start off by being accidental, an accidental hero. So, um, such as uh, by triggering traps or catching enemies in the act of running away. So they don't even do it consciously. They're running away and they kind of somehow end up triggering sort of traps this is this is the case of the Loch Lamora in book two where everyone's like wow that's amazing and he's like yeah the fact that I caught all these people is sheer luck I was just he, he was doing a bit of a wrecking ball situation he was just hanging from <laughs> various ropes and stuff like that and happened yeah he killed a bunch of people because he happened to just cut a rope which dropped something on them um so uh yeah so they usually it's by accident um sometimes you also get versions and i quite like this where the cowardly character will actually fall unconscious or um will sort of will kind of fall into a hypnotized state which allows them to access their own abilities um so they're only competent when they're not actually conscious (laughs) and this is usually done for comedic purposes yes yeah definitely Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I suppose we should try and nip through these relatively quickly. Yes. um, I would just say that um, I I couldn't help thinking, as you were saying that, about Steve in Harker and Blackthorn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Steve really does kind of fall into this in that he's he's a very sensible kind of coward um, in that he doesn't want to get involved with these things because they're you know, incredibly dangerous, but he will also step up because they need him to, you know? Yes. And then he, when he does step up, he is, uh, to quote Madeline here, when he does decide to step up, it's like, he's so metal. <laughs> he is! He's really cool! <laughs> and he just hasn't realised it himself yet. No, and it's like, oh, danger is over, I'm back to being the least remarked upon, the least important member of the group kind of thing. And everyone else is like, you do realise we'd be dead if you hadn't done that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, well, I don't think I contributed much. Uh, Steve, <laughs> listen... <laughs> So yeah, absolutely. He, I think he's a great example of this. Um, some other examples. Now, actually, this is the thing that I was watching that made me want to do this episode. Um, I recently watched the new version of uh, Around the World in 80 Days with David Tennant. Um, and it's very interesting because it portrays Phileas Fogg as a coward. Now, the kind of coward he is, um, is a lot of it is quite psychological where whereby you know he was the kind of person who wanted to go traveling but um he kind of sort of uh what's the word kind of dodged out of it because he was actually 
too afraid to step out beyond his boundaries. Um, and he ends up, obviously, as is the premise of the story, he ends up pushing past these boundaries um, in order to actually achieve this achieve this feat of travelling around the world in 80 days. And by the end, he becomes, you know, he's a little bit of a badass by the end, not going yes. to lie. But at the beginning, he is. He's a total coward. And he has he has several moments where he almost just um fails in his task because he almost kind of just um just convinces himself that he can't do it that he's too cowardly to do it um and i really really liked that i liked seeing his development throughout the series so that was a really interesting example of that trope for me um, next one I want to talk about... Now, this is going to mean absolutely nothing to Jules. Um, <laughs> no, Jules is looking at it going, I don't know don't what know that who, is. I don't know who this person is. Is that horror? <laughs> <laughs> no. Probably not horror. <laughs> not with me, it's not. Um, this is a character called uh, Finral, um, who is from a series called Black Clover. Now, uh, Black Clover is basically about uh, wizards. It's a group of people. They have magical powers. And Finral is a character whose magic power basically allows him to teleport places. Um, and he's essentially been used just as for convenience. And he's kind of happy to, to do that. He doesn't really want to get involved in battles. He's afraid a lot of the time. Um... And his, his commanding officer kind of just lets him do that. And you think it's because his commanding officer doesn't care. But then over time you realise that his commanding officer is just waiting for him to actually step up and realise that he's more competent than he initially thinks. And what's quite interesting for me with, with Finral's whole kind of story is that he steps up and he tries to be brave and sometimes that really backfires on him. Um, like he almost gets killed several times in really horrific ways like no spoilers just not to have too many spoilers in case um, any of you want to watch it but like his little brother almost completely his little brother almost kills him in a in a really really horrific way um, and you would think therefore that he'd kind of go back to stage one and he doesn't because ultimately he steps up because his friends need him to step up and so for me that was a really satisfying kind of version of the story where it, it shows that actually sometimes stepping up and being brave isn't instantly rewarded. Sometimes the world is actually telling you that being brave, it's not worth it, that it's actually going to bring you more pain than anything else. But even so, you continue to do it, which I thought was quite an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, next, I'm, I'm trying to sort of zip through these. Neville Longbottom, obviously Harry Potter. We've discussed this, but um, was there anything you wanted to add to this one, Jules? Um, I would actually, because I think, you know, I think everybody kind of gets the fact that Neville obviously belongs in Gryffindor. Mm. Is very very brave, mm -hmm. but it's the way he comes about it because he's come from a situation where his you know his his reaction to being sort of bullied by a family that does love him yeah. is to become more timid and to doubt himself and it's out of this self-doubt that his cowardice comes which yeah. i find an interesting juxtaposition to harry yeah um and it's the fact that his first really brave act is to try and stand up to his friends which is one of the things most people find very difficult yeah 
And then, of course, by the end of it, he's lopping heads off snakes and things. Yeah. So, you know, his, you know, his character journey. If you if you read that series from Neville's perspective, I bet it'd be a really interesting story. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And Neville is quite interesting as well because you sort of start to realise that actually he has been brave in his own ways the entire time and that perhaps yeah. this cowardice which is put forward um, is is kind of almost self-prophesized, if that makes sense, in that we, yeah. everyone's been told, he's been told that he's, he's a coward and therefore he has kind of, he, he's adopted that. But actually, if you look at him, he's not cowardly at all. Um, even from the beginning, he's timid, yes, um, but he consistently shows himself to be someone with incredible bravery. Um, and one of the really sort of moving moments for me is that you actually get to see a little bit of his bravery when it comes to how he reacts around his parents. Now, this is something that I've talked about before, but actually, for a lot of people, despite what you know, we like to imagine. Um, facing something as horrific as what's happened to his parents in his day-to-day -day life and doing it with positivity is actually really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really does epitomise this idea that there's lots of different types of courage. Yeah. Um, and he is. He's courageous. He doesn't shy away from that. Because it would be very easy to kind of allow himself to become smaller with it because it's so difficult to deal with. Which is something that lots of people have had to kind of face in the past. And there's no judgment here um, in that regard. It's just one of those things is that sometimes life is just a little bit too difficult to deal with. Um, but he doesn't. And for me, that was actually one of the, the real sort of eye-opening moments um, that showed showed me that Neville is more than anything he's kind and particularly in a world like that kindness is an incredible form of bravery yeah yeah definitely um last one i wanted to mention um is from a series called demon slayer uh, which I recommended a few years ago. Um, we're rewatching it at the moment and, <laughs> and I'm just reminded how good it is. Uh, there is a character in it called Zenitsu um, who is, not gonna lie, rather annoying um, until he's not. And he's he is a very whiny character. He's constantly afraid. He's certain that he's gonna be killed. Um, and he has quite a lot of flaws, and yet he steps up. And one of the most endearing moments for him isn't actually... He's one of these people, actually, who who ends up being competent when they're unconscious. And this happens on several occasions before he starts being conscious for what's happening to him. Um, but actually, that was a very cool moment where he, he kind of steps up, he's unconscious, and he, he proves himself to be a total badass. But the moment for me that really solidified the fact that I liked this character is when he is fully conscious and he is allowing himself to be beaten to the ground by another character all in order to protect um, a box which the main character said was more important to him than his entire life than than his life 
and just out of sheer loyalty to this guy whom he barely knows he is enduring this horrific beating um despite knowing that there's something potentially very dangerous in the box just because this other guy said it was important to him and so for me that was a okay Again, we have a character here who is terrified of what's going on, which is very reasonable because he's fighting man-eating demons. Um, but he's he's very kind. He's incredibly kind. And I thought that that was actually a really, really nice touch. So, wanted to mention him. Cool. So there we go. <laughs> this has been a, a bit of a flyby tour. <laughs> um before we do go, I, I do do want to ask, you know, who are your favourite cowardly characters, Jules? Um, I'm not quite sure where he'd fit because he's kind of a combination, but I really like Hoggle from Labyrinth. Yes. I think because he's this terrible misanthrope and grump and he's forced into a state of, of, of optimism about whether people are willing to be friends. A lot of his cowardice comes from the fact that he has nothing to lose. Yeah, absolutely. So, it makes more sense for him to save his own skin and then when he does have something to lose he acts the way he always has before and then feels terrible about it yeah and again then does something incredibly brave to yeah it's the whole sort of like i'm not asking for your forgiveness at the end and they're all kind of like no that was really brave of course we forgive you (laughs) (laughs) yeah And, and again doesn't kid anyone about it he's like You've got to think about my position. I'm a coward and Jareth scares me. Well, what kind of position is that? It's no position. That's my point. (laughs) Hanging on by my fingernails here. I've got to live here. You're just passing through. Yeah. Um, So I love that. And, you know, I mentioned, obviously, Steve. I love Steve. I really do. I love Steve too. (laughs) And it's the... It's more the fact that he thinks he's a, well, okay. This is all stuff that's going to come out later, so I don't want to spoil anything. But a lot of his opinion of himself has come from much earlier on in his life. Yeah, shall we say? Yeah. Um, in the same way that Amy is actually quite brave and adventurous, except when it comes to emotional stuff. Yeah. Um, and at that point, she's kind of like got a she'll let you get so far and then no further yeah. kind of thing. She's got something closed off because her biggest fear is being abandoned, quite understandably, considering her own baggage. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it does make for very engaging <laughs> engaging stuff. So, yeah, if you're following Harker and Blackthorn, I mean, I think when this comes out, the sixth book, he'll be like about a week a week away from being published um, and yeah um, I'd like to say yes it, it solves everything in book five but but it doesn't <laughs> that's <laughs> <So>. a lie <laughs> it would be a lie but you do get to find out a few little teasers of things yes. that, that are forthcoming so there's that <laughs> yeah but yeah um, they're, they're at least two of my favorites and we've mentioned a lot of the others mm, yeah yeah um yeah, I've got to say, Steve is probably one of my favourite examples of that because he he's not, and I think I I, I have actually talked about a lot of my other favourites. Um, I think in terms of mythology, I I really do like Loki as 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 the cowardly character. <laughs> yes, actually, <he> does... 
it's it's more it, it is it's slightly more survivalism but it's also kind of like yeah, maybe i'll just save my own skin yeah <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, i could do the honorable thing or <laughs> and you know i can i can i from a story perspective i can appreciate that um it's like um, kind of rufus as well actually because <laughs> No, he's not a coward, except he's kind of a physical coward. If he knows there's pain coming, he'll be like, no, 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 I'm not interested, yeah. <laughs> don't want to do it. <laughs> I cannot begin to tell you how much I don't want to do this. He is, he's really, really scared of pain. Um, but it's something that he obviously has to get very acquainted with real quick. I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> I know you're the author, but really... So he has to get acquainted with pain. Okay. <laughs> Down, like Mistress Banks a lot. <laughs> wap, wap, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, well, I, mean, I guess that also answers, you know, my next que- question, which is, have we, have we used this? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Yes, we, we both have. I don't think I set out to say, oh, it will be a cowardly character, but I did know that I wanted a character who wasn't typical alpha male, super attractive, kind of, you know, obvious love interest. I wanted someone who actually had a lot of good qualities and was predominantly a really good, decent, kind person. That's yeah. kind of what I wanted. And it, it just... I, it, it just sort of came to me before I even started the first Harker and Blackthorn book. It's kind of like, well, Steve's really, really underused. Bring him in from the other series. <laughs> we could torture him a <laughs> Yay! <laughs> a lot. We could torture him a lot. <laughs> we could torture him an incredible amount. Um, <laughs> it's quite funny, though, because it's like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's meant to be this. And again, this is this is what I mean in that I suddenly went, I've got a thing. I've got a thing for characters like this, don't I? <laughs> yes. Uh, we like what we like. We do. The heart wants what the heart the wants. Heart wa- Indeed. And the heart wants. <laughs> the heart really wants. And on that note, guys, it is time that we said goodbye. Uh, Before we do, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And this week, I am actually going to recommend that people check out this new... uh, version of Around the World in 80 Days. Um, if you are a fan of the classic book, you will find obviously that several things have been changed. Um, for me, actually, I feel that it works. They've updated some of the ideas. They've introduced some uh, new concepts and new versions of the characters that I that I particularly like. Um, and I do feel that David Tennant, of course, gives a a really marvelous performance. So highly, highly recommended. Um, And I'd love to hear what everybody thinks if they get a chance to watch it. Cool. I will definitely have to check that out. I really do recommend it. I want to talk to you about it, Jules. (laughs) And on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com 
or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.